Cross the Streams Podcast. Cross the Streams Podcast. Kip and Kane. Season 4 is here. New content in all our favorite segments like Listen Up, Hometown Heroes, Useless Full Information, Calling Men In, and many more. The Ion Brothers are back, everybody. Content warning for today. The subject materials and conversation will contain topics that may prove triggering for those uh, listening. Be sure to take care of yourself. Pause, discontinue the episode whenever you need to. We feel the content is very important and worth our airing, but wanted to make sure everyone out there has a full advance warning of what we're discussing. Cross the Streams Podcast, Kip and Kane, Season 4. I'm here today by myself. Kane's going to hopefully join uh, with Andrea Humeyer and Carly Rohner in some post-reacts to a great interview segment. We're kind of going back to our roots with where we used to bring guests on, Kane and I, get the interview as one episode and then bring some other folks on to reacts. And I'm lucky enough to have somebody I've met uh, in the past couple months during the pandemic. As awful as the pandemic has been, we've been making connections, right? And meeting people on Zoom that are doing a lot of awesome things and, and bringing light to a lot of causes. And I wanted to bring Kate on today uh, from the Surviving Justice podcast at SJRR our podcast, survivingjustice.buzzsprout.com. So many spots she's showing up. But Kate, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself to the Cross the Streams audience, and um, we're excited to have you here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And it's been it's been so nice to get to know you over the past couple months. Um, yeah, so I my name is Kate. I'm a doctoral student in public health. I minor in journalism, and I'm working in public health right now doing some work for the COVID response, which has just wow. been crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's been nuts. Um, let's see. I'm also a survivor of a drug-facilitated sexual assault. Um, that's how we kind of crossed yeah. paths here. So through my podcast that I ended up putting out about two years after after being raped and reporting it through the through police and um, going through the legal system um, and realizing how flawed and painful it is for survivors. So. Um, that's essentially, yeah, that's essentially how we met and the work that I've put out there so far. <laughs> yes, no, and I, I'm so impressed with the stuff you've done and to add to your story of our connection. I was researching on my Teams of Men business for everybody listening across the streams. I mean, you know the work uh, Kane and I believe in and that I've turned into a business trying to build a healthier version of masculinity in, in, in players across the country. And a lot of that is victim advocacy. A lot of that is sexual assault prevention work. And I found your podcast when I was researching Searching experts in the field. I was just trying to find folks that have been doing the work, folks that were putting out content that I could, you know, share, repurpose, and give to coaches. And I found it's about 18 episodes, right, that you ended up putting out in this first go round that really deep dives. And I think your your Twitter profile does a great job explaining the bre the breadth of all the work you did. A podcast about massive systemic policing and prosecution failures, and then going deeper in you you just have so many so much content about I'm sure your own experience going through this and then the information and the work you did, man, I was gripped by a, a lot of these episodes and you know I knew a little bit about like the, the challenges victims face um, you know in belief in finding justice but then to hear to see the work you put to you know putting it out there you know and hearing it and letting folks that's where we I really um, you know I've shared it with so many people but let for us and our purposes here, you know, how did you arrive in this? How did you come to the decision? You know what? This podcast is a venue and a means for me um, to, you know, explore 
the faults in the system, but also give voice to so many people. Yeah, so I think that came about because, well, for starters, when I had when I had been drugged and raped, I did not want to report. I was terrified of reporting. That was not something I wanted to do. I knew how yeah. terrible it could be. I didn't want to do it. Um, and then when I did, it ended up somehow being even worse than I would have Ugh. anticipated. Um, because I think that you do sort of understand, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult for victims to be believed. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of other difficult things about the whole process that you just don't hear about. Um, and that is really painful for victims to go through mm -hmm. and also to talk about at any point in time. Um, and I think basically how I ended up just turning this into a podcast was I think, you know, on a, on a personal note, like I had reached, you know, the two year mark of my case. Um, they had been trying to close it without really doing any investigating, <laughs> which yeah. was any of know, the work at all. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, which is honestly very typical. Um, but at the time I didn't really know that. And I was feeling like, is this just me? Like, it can't be just me. I know that other people have gone through this, but like how big of a problem is it? And also why is it a problem? Um, so I set out to try to, I got to a point where I was like, there's no point in, you know, they try to silence you with your story and say, it's an active case. Don't talk about it, but things don't get done when you're silenced. Um, so I reached a point where I was like, I don't care if I share things about my, yeah, own, yeah. my own journey. I just, I don't care at this point anymore. It's been two years. They clearly don't care to do anything and I just have to wait it out. So I decided I wasn't going to wait for them to keep determining my future and keep determining, um, the work that I would do or wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to know why the system was as broken as it was. And I wanted to know if there was, and especially, you know, in relation to rape specifically. And I wanted to know if there was any hope of it getting better. Yeah. And that's sort of how I arrived here. And then I ended up, um, you know, just reaching out to so many people who really without question <laughs> just yeah. gave me their time, which yeah. I did not expect. It was really, really, really generous and sweet of them to do so yeah that's how that's how that all got started <laughs> and i and i noticed in your bio you know the part about minoring like you mentioned doctoral doctoral public health student minoring in journalism did you draw on that part of your you know your background and your education because i can imagine the the weight and the heaviness of living this right but then it's almost like i might have to take notes of all these terrible realizations i'm coming to about my own case but i'm going to take notes to set up information later you know just the the going about it dive into that a little bit was it re recall or like in the moment like this bullshit just went down i not only have i got to deal with it myself emotionally of what just happened with my case but now i got to make sure i remember to set this up for an episode i can imagine that being really hard yeah, no, that's a great question. So a lot of it, um, a lot of it was stuff that had already happened. Um, okay. I was two years in at that point, but then it was also like, it's still ongoing. My case is still ongoing. Like as in the latest news is that as of a couple of months ago, it was printed out into prosecutors, but they left out like literally all of the evidence intentionally. Mm -hmm. So it got taken away from that police department. The captain of that unit is now a traffic controller. I think you posted something about that recently. And I, I noticed I, that, yes. <laughs> yes, so that's, that's been some interesting news. But that's the thing is it's an ongoing process. So some of it was kind of reacting in the moment. But I had... I had laid it out um, basically from start to finish. Yeah. What do people go through? And especially when I, you know, I hadn't been through dealing with prosecutors and I probably never will be. I doubt that they're going to get there with my case, which, you know, it is, it is what it is at this point, really frustrating. Mm -hmm. But 
Um, I was just trying to think what is the legal process and then what are these other steps that people don't really know as much about. And I kept also finding interesting things along the way, like exceptional clearance was um, something that had come out of a, a two part podcast called Case Cleared. That was really interesting to learn about. So um, as I was going through it, I just it like you kind of already have a sense of what it's going to be like. And then it just unfolds into even yeah, more crazy. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> outline expands and it has a living, breathing thing of its own, I'd imagine. Yeah, definitely. What was your, talk about support through this for you, like in, you know, did you have in the beginning of your case legal representation or it sounds like you're navigating this both as the victim but both as your own advocate it sounds like. Talk to me about supports you had or lack thereof. Yeah, so really the the only consistent solid support that I had from day one was my family um, and friends and stuff and I was actually really lucky that um, the people in my school kind of rallied around me and I had support from professors and students and people who I honestly didn't think I would get it from because mm. I had not heard of that happening. Yeah, <laughs> like you right, never, right. You never really hear that, which is you know, one of the reasons people don't report. You're afraid you're not going to get that support. Um, but as far as working through the legal system, how it works in my city is that we don't have um, we don't have advocates assigned to cases where it's still being investigated, which really doesn't make any sense at None. all. And, and even then, they were trying to rely on community advocates, which is like, that's fine. It's like they have advocates that showed up to the hospital. They're the crisis response advocates. That's a different layer than someone who's going to stick with you and walk you through your case. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are different things. And all of that just coincidentally in the, the city that I was living in when this happened, all of it just wasn't there. They still don't have advocates working with people in, in open investigations, as far as I know. I haven't been told otherwise. And the it just unfortunately happened that um, the nonprofit that had been providing advocates was bought out by a corporation. Oh, of course. Like, oh, like, yeah, in the weeks or months before this happened to me. Yeah. So um, it was like literally the second I needed help, they were gone. And as far as I know, that's still the case. So um, there was nobody in my city I didn't want to go through a lawyer immediately. Looking back, that was a a mistake, I think, but I didn't want to. And I, you know, I, I feel like it's really naive, but my first meeting with the police officer, that went well, um, as well as it could have gone. Like it wasn't perfect, but it was better than I would have expected. So I was like, oh, maybe this won't be horrible. Maybe, maybe I don't need as much support as I think I do. And then when things start going wrong and you have like a wealthy person getting arrested and then the sergeant calls off the arrest two hours later because they're afraid of his lawyer, you start to realize right, that you, right. needed, you needed some representation, as which, which is what happened with me. And so um, in my state, we don't like I lived everywhere. We didn't have advocates. I spent three months trying to find an advocate who could help me. And I ended up only finding one um, through my mom had happened to read a newspaper article that mentioned um, this lady who works as a medical examiner and works on DFSA cases. Sometimes that lady happened to she actually spoke with my mom. She someone who works in a really busy medical um, examiner office took mm-hmm. the time out of her day to speak with my mom and hear my whole story set me up with um, an advocate who was part of national organization for women and she's in New York City I've never met her in person oh but for God. the past three years yeah. she's the only person who has been like around and consistently helping me with my case I it just it's and I, I apologize for being dumbfounded on this side of this because it's just and I'm sure you had to experience this 
in real time it's just and i think you use some great descriptions in in descriptions in both your website and the podcast talking about just the level of incompetence in sheer disbelief that this is the system set up to quote unquote help victims, it's it's unbelievable. Um, and and I and I know I'm uh, I'm obviously speaking to someone that's lived it, so I don't need to put more emphasis on it. But I think that's a lot of when I'm doing the work with young men in in our teams of men, there's this level of belief that that really we try to break down these walls and help them unlearn that no, the system is not set up for victims to achieve the justice that we all believe. Oh no, the cops will figure that out. Oh no, that'll be, that, you know, coach. If it if it wasn't, uh, if they didn't come to charges, coach, well, that means there's a big thing wrong with with who's accusing. It's uh, it, the mindset is crazy, and and I wish I could go back to, you know, my 17 through 25 year old self that was so ignorant and like a lot of men are walking around. How did you maintain any level of of self care during this? Because you're already dealing with the emotions of of what happened to you. Now you're constantly running up to these barriers. What was methods or ways for for you to just take care of you during this frustration period was it was it the work throwing yourself into the work um i think part of it was i think that like you know being involved in my case and you know fighting for myself and being my own advocate um it made me feel like i could reclaim some of the power that Mm. was being stripped away from me every single day right (laughs) yeah Every time I tried to get an answer and I wouldn't get one, it was really frustrating, but it's like, okay, what's the next step? So like, it's not like, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, yeah. it's very yeah. but it was just like in the moment, like that was what was helping me. Like some people need to take, to take rest and to take a step back. And for me, I needed to, for me, what I needed to feel more powerful and in control of my life was to be more active in my case. So mm. that was something that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, just being a person, like I've always, always been a runner. So, um, you know, continuing to run and, you know, using, using that as an outlet has been tremendously helpful. Um, unfortunately, it comes out of cost because I have had multiple stress reactors from running. Oh, so oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. For so that's sure. one that's taken away from you, like your outlet. I think a lot of athletes can relate to that. Like yes. You have sport and you love it and you get injured and you're sidelined for months and it's just... It's like, so the oh, for sure. I, I think athletes and yourself being like, for, I'm hearing you and it's like, I'm similar and I find stillness in activity. I, I, I'm really bad in this, va- if people, other folks that can actually really press the relax button... That's like a worse setup for me. So I can only imagine if you're in a similar boat, this would be, I I really love in one of your, in reading more about you, where you talk about smashing the silence around sexual assault, because there is, and even hearing you right now in the beginning, ways that victims are, they're muted and and folks actively go about suppressing that. Talk a little bit more about when finding that, it's, it's gotta be a level of, I love, I love the term smashing it. Because I feel like that's what's needed. There's no delicate way, other way to put it. Like we have to hear these stories, believe these stories, and as we'll get into the second part, understand the system has to be smashed as well. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great question. I think for me, um, I have no idea why, but <laughs> very naturally for me to want to talk about it. And yeah. To be like, why is no one paying attention to this injustice? Like, I know it's not just my case. I know it's. I know it's the way the system is designed, right? So um, I think one thing that really helped me is that, I don't know if it's just been, you know, growing up a feminist, (laughs) like all having all of that kind of ingrained in my head, I was like, I know this isn't my fault. I'm 
furious that this happened to me. I'm furious at this person. He shouldn't get away with it. Like my initial thoughts around that were like, the more I talk to people about it and the more help I can get um, it, within the community, like that was something that was so helpful to me. And mm. I think it's devastating that like, I can't even imagine being a survivor who carries the weight of thinking that it's their fault. Oh, anyway. right. Well, it's devastating. And like, I feel like there have been things I felt shame around, shame around over time, like just in, in the sense of the way that you cope with things are sometimes not the healthiest, right. the way you react to things. Sometimes I have like an extreme reaction to something that really didn't warrant it. So like those things are really difficult, but, um, and you know, I think that that's difficult, but as far as like the level of silencing that goes into <laughs> victims, it's absurd. It's yeah. like, if somebody, if somebody, came up to you at a bar and punched you in the face, do you think the first thing people would do is tell you not to say a word about right. it to anybody? Like, that doesn't happen. Right. Like, what That end. shirt you were wearing, Kip, that's why he punched you. You deserved it. <laughs> oh. Exactly. Yeah. And then they tell you, they tell you, I know from the university, I reported to a university as well, that was, like, more important to me than the police because I thought, you know, naively, I didn't realize the universities are just as bad as, um, as, as you know, the police system is. But I was hoping that you know at least they would be a little bit better um i heard from everyone everybody you know to myself personally to keep it quiet to not talk about it with anybody and how are you supposed to heal when you can't yeah. talk about it with anybody right. so that was advice i just didn't take and then there were <laughs> good for you people, yeah, yeah. there were um, other people who were interviewed as witnesses and i know that in my department everyone was asked not to say a word about it and i'm just like you can't have this that's not how you change a culture mm -hmm. of misogyny and rape. You you don't tell people when this massive thing happens and, you know, suddenly a professor's not showing up and suddenly a student is struggling. Like, these are things that people notice. They're not things that <laughs> just, yeah. like, you don't see them happening in front of you and silence isn't helping anything. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, of course, the police will say, you know, don't talk about this with anyone. It's an open investigation, but they're not doing anything. So right. you have to. Like, if, when, when you're silenced, you... You lose your control of what's, you know, the narrative, first of all. Secondly, everything else that's happening within your life. And I think it's it's horrible advice yeah. <laughs> to tell a victim to stay silent no matter what the reason, whether it's legal, whatever. Like, it needs to be normalized that survivors are able to talk about their experience and what happened to them. You know, one of the things we, we've we've heard from, from folks we bring in to talk to our guys about ways of being an advocate and things to consider. Um, can, when we, you don't have to name names, but could you think the first person you disclosed to was a helpful bounce to continuing this? You know, you mentioned your family was a support group. Um, you know, we hear a lot from experts that come in. Like, if you're that first person and it's a horrible experience for the victim when they disclose to you, that can lead to more of that silence. So how, what was that like for you? Yeah, so for me, I got very lucky. Um, I had told, I had told one of my my best friends, um, who I've known for years. We met studying abroad in Costa Rica and have mm. been close ever since. Um, I actually texted her the next morning because uh, I thought it was odd. I mean, I think it's also important to understand that when you're drugged, you you the, the next morning you're not thinking clearly. You right. just you, it takes a, it takes a while, and especially when you've gone through a traumatic event and you've been drugged you just you're trying to put the pieces together but it's, it just doesn't work so mm -hmm. luckily i had just the right people be my brain when i needed them so she was the first person that i told um the next morning and i it wasn't like hey i got drugged and raped it was more like uh i woke up naked i don't remember anything yeah. except for sitting at a bar and having a total of like one drink 
and a sip of another. Is that normal? Oh, right. Yeah. And now here I, oh my goodness. Yeah. So she had talked to me. Um, she talked me through it because I actually found out from that conversation. And I think this is interesting too, is that like, you know, the more people I talked about this, the more people have said to me, oh, I was drugged too. My brother was drugged. This person, it's so common and it's so crazy because it's not talked about really that much, but men and women have all told me that, you know, they've had this experience. And my friend happened to be somebody who was also drugged at some point in time. She didn't realize it for two years because she was brand new to drinking and the guy that she was dating at the time took advantage of that, basically. Right. Um, so she had no idea. And then later on in life, when she actually got drunk, she was like, it's that's not that's yeah, that's, that's not, not what it was. Holy cow. Yeah. 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 So she was the one who had told me I had my own misconceptions about what being drugged was like. And I was like, well wouldn't I still be knocked out somewhere? Like, wouldn't it be for a longer period of time? Wouldn't it be, I had all these ideas about like what being drugged actually looked like and they were all wrong. So she was like, why don't you call a hotline and mm -hmm. talk to someone? Mm -hmm. So I did, I called Rain's national hotline for a sexual assault and I had a great advocate that I spoke with who told me, um, that it's what I experienced is something that they see in here every single day. Oh, man. And then on top of that, I had also remembered that my, my brother actually, when he was in college had been a girl gave him a drink that she said tasted weird. And she was like, I don't know. I'm not drinking this. Do you want it? So he drank that drink and he believes that he was drugged that night. And like, that's somebody who has experience with alcohol yeah. and like, yeah, he, he, there was a clear difference. Like it was something that stuck with him enough to talk about it at a different point in time. Like, I think, that's another thing people need to know. It's it's so distinctly different once you actually, once it settles and you realize what happened, it's really kind of unmistakable. Um, so I was able to reach out to him and talk to him and he was the second person I disclosed to and he was the one who made me realize I needed to get a rape kit because I was thinking like, I know who I was with, what difference is a rape kit going to make? Like, it's just those thoughts that don't mm -hmm. really, you're not thinking clearly mm -hmm. when you're going through that process. So. Luckily for me, I had an excellent experience with the first people I reached out to. But to give an example of a really bad um, experience, I a couple days later, I had already been doing some of my own like kind of investigative work, like whose apartment did I end up at? Because I didn't even know. I went back to the wrong apartment. I oh, had wow. no idea. Yeah. Um, there were things that were just not clear to me. And I was like, before, if I'm even going to consider reporting to police, I need to understand some things about what happened to me before I go tell them I don't know anything because we all know how they're going to react yeah. to hearing that. So I was um, working on that on my own and reached out to a counselor, like a therapist on campus who's supposed to be the sexual assault counselor. Mm -hmm. And he told me that I came here to go to school and not to file a police report and what? that I need to reconsider how to spend my time. I was like, well, I also didn't come here to get raped. So. Right. Yeah. That's not part of my contract <laughs> either. Holy shit. Yeah. And imagine, just imagine being like, I was, I'm a grad student, so I was older when this happened, but imagine being a freshman and being oh. 18 and having that be the first thing that a professional tells you. Right. It's horrifying. That's it's probably horrifying. on flyers and websites as the source. Like this is where you go for the help and that's what yeah. you hear. Oh, I'm yep, so sorry. You hear. And yeah. you're just, you wonder why you don't hear about, you know, higher rates of this being reported on college campuses that's why because they they dissuade people from reporting <laughs> mm -hmm. no man that was that, we're gonna take our first break but i really thank you for going through your experience and especially in that last five minutes so many things that even myself who's been in the work for a little while now what you described as trying to decipher between was i just drunk was i drug and the, just that whole tale i'm sure that will be helpful for folks hopefully there's not we don't we don't we're not having too many people that are in the same boat but i can imagine 
finding that clarity for yourself and from the person that you first called would be so powerful. Like, no, this is, you're not insane. You're not crazy. You're not making this up. So thank you for that. We'll be right back after the first break here. Across the Stream Podcast and its creators, Kip and Kanayon, stand for anti-racism and for being disruptive to bigotry in all its forms. Before, now, and forever, we implore our listeners to listen to learn, learn to care, and care enough to act. We're back, cross the streams after our first break. We're back with Kate from Surviving Justice Podcast at SJRRR Podcast. Um, it's such a powerful story. I want to dive in right now, and we, we kind of emailed back and forth. I was so impressed because, I, I mean, I'm running this little tiny living room podcast that my brother and like doing, right? And organizing guests for this and coordinating just for our little neck of the little slice of um platform i i'm so impressed with you putting together survivors civil attorneys prosecutors detectives national organizations all into your 18 episode series like i just want you to start talking about how did you even create the lit how did you manage that that's such a monumental organizational task and then to execute it where did you start sure yeah great question so i think (laughs) i think i started to like just like rage work on this project, which was very productive luckily yeah. at the time. Cause you know, you, you bounce between being exhausted and being infuriated and really wanting to do something. So yeah. <laughs> luckily, yeah, when I started, um, I had already known some names of people who I would have loved to get in contact with just through like professional readings and things I'd been doing for school. I ended up, this happened to me my second year of my doctoral program. So um, it really shifted what I was working on because it was like, if it's already on my mind and I'm not going to take a semester off, then what can I do to put productive energy Mm. into this? Mm -hmm. So I had read a lot of academic papers and a lot of the researchers are people who I had come across um, through, through the papers they had written and through other things that I had maybe seen them in. Um, On top of that, I also knew of just some other professional organizations like Avawi and Violence Against Women International um, and Rape on Campus. And, you know, places I had basically reached out to myself yeah, when I needed right. help. So it was nice to be able to talk to them and also just, you know, using RAIN for their statistics. Um, I'm actually a member of their speakers bureau. They oh, have a wow. lot of really yeah. interesting things going on over there. So that was automatically helpful. Um, the hardest part was actually I was like trying to figure out how I was going to find lawyers. I was like, are they going to be willing to talk to me? Because there's so much there's so much silence around Mm -hmm. like the legal system so I didn't know if anyone would be willing to um but I knew that there had been some federal cases going on I knew that there were some local cases going on of um attorneys kind of suing their police departments and that was interesting to me so all I did um was keeping in mind basically the the general outline of my podcast which I wanted to follow the whole entire reporting process and then add in some episodes about title nine and things like that um I ended up just doing some Googling and finding some news articles. Right. <laughs> Through that, I found the attorneys that were working on these high-level cases and these really interesting cases. And I just, for every single person that I spoke with, I just reached out to them, mm-hmm. um, asked if they would be willing to put their time, like give their time so generously. And not even one single person really asked a question, which I thought was so yeah. nice. Like, yeah. One of those things at the beginning where I was like, is this just going to be an idea and no one's going to want to talk to me and it's just never going to happen? 
But I think what was so nice is that all of these people, like they're, especially when you've gone through a system for two years and have had no helpers and no one wants to talk and nobody's helping you and you just feel kind of defeated by humanity. Yes. It was so, so nice and so helpful that all of these people wrote back and they're like, sure, what time? Like they didn't ask questions. Um, So it's really just because of them that it was able to happen, which was amazing. And then I honestly also was thinking, you know, people say it's so hard to get survivors to contribute their stories at the beginning of every episode or most episodes, survivors are telling their stories. Um, I think that's a misconception. Survivors have been silenced for so long. They want a safe Mm. space where they're able to share their story. And it was never... It's like I still have people reaching out asking if they can tell their story. And I'm like, when I do something again, sure. Right, (laughs) right. Was how... And there's so much in there that... (laughs) Losing faith in humanity. Welcome to 2020, right? I'm with you. (laughs) Every other day, I'm just like, man, maybe we're not worth it. I don't know. Um, But what about, because there was a couple episodes in there where you had either retired or current police slash detectives. And I know in the times we live in and and what we've learned through the BLM protests and that had to, were, were you nervous about that? And how, how did that come about? Because you read and, I, and you've lived it. I'm just reading about it. It's, it's a pretty tight knit group that doesn't often say things that puts each other in bad light. But you had folks willing to come on the record and talk about flaws in their brethren and or the system. Yeah, for sure. And it, well, I think the interesting thing about that, um, I wasn't super nervous about it just because I had found that was other another thing like one person I found that was an active detective was someone who I had actually seen speak at a conference so I already had a sense of um kind of what he was like and I really liked the way that he presented his detective work around sexual assault so and then he he actually happened to become a public information officer at the same time that I was making this podcast so Mm -hmm. it made him more available and um able to talk about things a little bit I think it was you know, kind of like what I could have expected from somebody who's still working with it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just good process information. Um, and then I actually, it was really interesting. I spoke to a few retired detectives and I found that they were the most helpful. Um, mm. I think that when, when they had found a gap in the system and they wanted to fix it, they found that it wasn't possible. Like mm-hmm. if I'm understanding their story correctly, um, I certainly don't want to put words in their mouth or anything like that, but it seemed like they found a gap in the system. They felt they would either have more impact by stepping out and doing their own kind of like private thing. Like, um, for example, Keith Graves, who specializes in drug facilitated sexual assault. He has a great course on it. He helps people with their drug related cases. Um, he was really helpful. And I think for him, it was just like the impact is greater mm-hmm. when you're able to step outside of your one police department and make a bigger change. Yeah. Um, and then I had spoken to others who they they were so frustrated <laughs> with the way that the system worked and the way that they had been they had even been treated within the system when they tried to point out shortcomings or make changes. So they went their own way. Um, so those were some of the most interesting right. ones. Yeah, it was it was pretty fascinating to to listen to that perspective from so many different people was there any aspect of of finding these folks these connections that might have been a little like good healthy food for your soul that there were good humans out there despite (laughs) all you you know experiencing all the negative ones going forward 
Yeah, for sure. I think after every single interview with somebody who was helpful and kind, I felt so much better. <laughs> like, it helped to repair a little piece that was broken. Oh, I hope so. I, I hope so. Because I, I know just from my and on my side of this, not in in, in any way with the same amount of trauma and, and what you've experienced, connecting with folks like yourself, Jeff Pereira from last episode, anyone that's doing the work or has, you know, kind of like a kindred soul. And yeah. you're like, oh, that's what it feels like to find another good person with it's working toward, you know. And so I, I, I hope I'm glad you experienced some of that as well. My yeah, next, sure. I'm shifting this a little bit because I, I want to find the balance between you shedding light on some of the things you want earth in your episodes, but I also don't want you to give away anything because I want it. I want people to go listen. Um, but there were so many things in your some of your episodes that they hit me, and I wanted. I really ran to like my staff or my wife. Like, did you know about exceptional clearance? What in the hell? <laughs> You know, like that. So, if you want to start there as an aspect of like, hey, here's why you should come listen. Let me give you a couple of nuggets on what we unearthed that are flaws in the system that nobody knows about. Sure. And I mean, I'm sure that there are people who were aware of this, mm-hmm. but some of it was news to me. And a lot of it I've heard was, you know, news to survivors who reached out to me. And the majority of them have said, like, I thought this was just me. I thought I was crazy. Like, I yeah. thought. I thought this and I didn't know it was a whole system that was working against me. And I feel like a little bit more like validated in my experiences now, which is like the point of making it right, really right. like helpful to hear. But yeah, so I think for me, the thing that was so interesting is just the fact that specifically related to rape, um, detectives don't get any formal training. And if they do, they're learning from people who have come before them who like they didn't have training either. Jesus. Yeah. So it's just like antiquated idea passed down from generation to generation. That's just harmful rape myths and things that it doesn't make it better. And like very few, very few people within that culture are willing and able to reach out and get new resources and have new training. And even if they are, it's like if they're unwilling to have an open mind and change Mm -hmm. their attitude, nothing is going to change. And I think that that was sort of the conclusion I came to at the end of it. It was kind of dark, but that's okay. It's real. Yeah, it feels a little beyond repair um, to me. I think that, I I can't remember what episode that you, I really liked a part and I shared it with my team. I think it was the initial patrol contact and you talked about that. Like this person that's the first to the victim has zero training and or brings in these well, I think you deep dived into like they're used to this interrogation method, like back and forth between trying to find the lie and then they put it towards the victim. Like I'm going to find the holes in this. And it's not even remotely the same avenue as, you know, the stereotypical TV movie or drama, the light in a single room and the, and the murderers at the table. And I've got to draw the lies out that that really struck me. Yeah, yeah, it's painful. I think especially for, for me, luckily, um, the way that it worked and works in a lot of different places that have um, basically community response teams for survivors, um, they will kind of like not recommend that you speak to a police officer right away especially if you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol like that should be a no-brainer that just makes sense but people are still doing it everywhere um so it already puts a victim at a disadvantage because they're being interviewed by somebody when they're not like they're not okay yet they're not in their right mind they're not back to like where they should be if this just happened to them Mm -hmm. um which is uh, it's just so crazy and then um let's see what else was I going to say about that? No, that's <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, the sheer incompetence and lunacy of it. I, I don't, I don't fault you for coming to a pause there. I really like. You know what I really found interesting, and I was, I'm interested in if you would wrote. You mentioned your outline for the pod. 
I think you're you're so real in the in the labeling of each episode. You know, like a lot of times, even myself in labeling episodes, sometimes it's generic or it's e- the title is like ah, oh, it doesn't matter. But yours, you're you're do a really nice job. Like the, this haunts you the rest of your life. Your feelings are valid. Like it, you really do a nice job with. Was that purposeful in the beginning or after you taped it? Did you name them? That's yeah, great question. So I actually. Um for all of them, I, I I didn't plan it ahead of time or anything, but I just ended up naming the first one after a quote that one of the attorneys had said within the episode that I thought was really powerful. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was like, I'm just going to keep doing that because yeah. these survivors and these experts and these people who have worked in this sum it up perfectly. Like, I don't need to create anything new. Yes, <laughs> right. That was so good. Like, you know, there's episode eight. You're free to rape because we think it's pretty hard to prove these cases. Right. I mean, one victim is really 10. Episode six. Those are I mean, I, I you know, headlines are important. Right. A human mind and attention span. I can imagine quote headlines like that hopefully allows people to. to wow. Let me die. What What is this? Or for victims like that. That's that's what happened. That's what I felt. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that it's something that's relatable and helpful to people or something that people want to learn more about when they see it. Like, for example, I think another shocking thing me um was learning more about drug facilitated sexual assault like for me i totally understood how it could be it sounds crazy but i completely understand how somebody could get drug and be drugged by someone who's so manipulative that Mm. you just question it Mm. to death and you never act on it or you put it in the back of your head and you never think of it again because it's such a tricky type of assault and I remember in, I think in that um, one victim is really 10, when I was speaking with Keith Graves, he was talking about how he had once worked on a case or I think somebody, somebody that he knew was working on a case where there was uh, just one person came forward or who had been drugged and raped. And when they took the electronics from those people, they found that there were thousands of victims and these oh. people had no idea. They had no idea. Right. They, would, they would prey on people who had been drinking, then give them something. And then these people had no clue what happened and I think um it's just it's so sneaky and it makes sense that that you don't recognize it right away mm-hmm. especially especially if you're like me and you're like well if I was drugged wouldn't I be yeah. passed out for three days straight <laughs> like, right I feel like I was so ignorant but it's things like that and then yeah I don't know there was a lot that I learned in doing this as well the, so. before our next break do you and I, I this I don't know if loaded questions the right one I I can imagine putting your podcast out there and then having to exist a little bit on social media right can it do you just find yourself like because you can see i know i can go find it any given day something a topic or a, a social media post and or the comments underneath posts even from allies and advocates that just drive me up a wall and i didn't live it i'm not a victim like like how how do you balance like i need to be on there to to spread the message to amplify things victims to things i can ways i can help but also like just re-tearing wounds, listening or reading ignorance. How do you do that? Yeah, it's painful. You got to give yourself breaks, you know, like, but I don't know if that's me being addicted to my phone. I don't know if I can even do that, right? Yeah, for sure. No, breaks are helpful. I follow a lot of really supportive people. Um, If I see a lot of negative commenting going on, I just don't engage or get into it because you're not going to change the mind right. of somebody who's just trolling someone on social yeah. media. So yeah. not to let it bother me too much. And also, like, there are safeguards for people who want to be doing this work, but they don't want to be interacting with all this negativity all the time. So, mm-hmm. like, on Instagram, you can have only followers are able to comment. Like, 
you can get your messages screened, things oh, that's like that. Great. I found that really helpful. Oh, that's, that's huge. I didn't even know that. The, on the, it's at Instagram, yes? Mm-hmm. So helpful. So even though I'm like at war with Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> that is a helpful thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that having like some of those safeguards is really helpful. But I think it's also really, really good too because, you know, we all create kind of our own world on social media mm-hmm. depending on who we follow, which is, you know, can be good or bad. But I think um, seeing all the people who do truly care and who, who are working really hard and all of the allies that you wouldn't expect to be allies that do exist on these platforms, that's also been something that's been kind of like helpful in, in restoring your faith in humanity, mm-hmm. which I think after after being raped is the thing that is the hardest to, to get over. Gotcha. Let's take our last break. We'll come back and wrap it up. Before we get back to the show, we want to encourage all of our listeners to seek out ways each of you can actively participate in dismantling systems of oppression and to avoid the comfort of silence. We're back. Last segment. So appreciative of Kate Chisholm from Surviving Justice Podcast. What's taking up your energy today? You know, you and I off taping, you know, we've been talking about the election and, but I I mean, I'd imagine the Black Lives Matter movement and and the reform or abolish, defund the police has got to be on your brain. I'm sure there's intersections that what's, what is, what is driving your energy today? Yeah, good question. This is like a lot to think about. I think, you know, kind of on a wider scale, everything going on with the Black Lives Matter movement is just like amazing and Mm -hmm. so overdue and they've been at it for so long and it's finally getting this amazing national attention that it's needed for so long um so that is on my mind every single day and Mm -hmm. i'm trying to educate myself and be be someone who can be actively anti-racist and working on that and thinking about how that fits into everything i'm going to be doing going Mm -hmm. forward um and i think it's interesting because there are a lot of intersections between that and thinking about defunding the police and police abolition and prison abolition and different things like that so I've been just putting a lot of energy into, and it's been kind of difficult sometimes to really think about, you know, we're at this kind of interesting point where we're reimagining what the world could look like. Right. And when it's like this blank slate like that, there's so many different ideas of how things could be. And mm-hmm. people have brilliant ideas, especially like communities of color that have been advocating for them forever. And <laughs> now, yeah. now I'm catching up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think it's interesting, like reading more and especially advocating more as much as I can in my community for reallocating resources um, from police departments to social organizations that actually help. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what we go through as, as survivors, the, the police aren't there to help you. They're there to protect each other. They're not there to mm-hmm. protect the community, um, especially when it comes to people of color and like police, police killings. It's, it's out of control. Yeah. And I think, you know looking at it through the lens of rape is it's a different lens for sure and looking at misogyny and sexism as compared to racism within police culture it's it's a different conversation but there are a lot of intersections Mm -hmm. and you know you can't care about black lives matter until you're willing to say black female lives matter Mm -hmm. and black trans lives matter and all of that so being inclusive about the way that 
I've been thinking about that has been, it's just been, it's been an interesting conversation talking it through with different people and some of my friends of color and just like people in my community who are open to, you know, engaging in conversations like that. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely taking up a lot of time um, and energy. And I think in a good way, like it makes me feel really hopeful that there's these different ideas that are really coming into mainstream that when they were, when the first person said defund the police, then it became like yeah. the first headline or like, you know, they've been saying it forever. But when it was really starting to get to mainstream ideas, I was like, this is going to be torn apart in two seconds. Like, I, I love it, but I don't think right. anyone's going to listen. And now it's like a really, it's just a conventional idea mm-hmm. that is becoming, you know, more accepted. Um, so I, that makes me really hopeful, at least. I don't know how it's been, how it's been for you, but that's, it's just been for a sure. really. I think I, I, and I, I, I'm, I, I really appreciate you starting that off. Like it's, Every day is like this mixture of they put a wall in front of us or they throw it at us, right, on all these fronts, whether it's uh, racial equality, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's gender equality and the fight. Like even like, I mean, they snuck in the Title IX changes on us in September, right? Like just under the radar of all the other terribleness, look what else we did to make it super hard on victims on campuses. But at the same time, like you mentioned, seeing the work that people have done, seeing the work, the, you know, the commitment and just the, the passion for the change. You know, sometimes I catch myself like there, there's, it's it's a struggle to imagine the world that some folks are, are putting out there, but it's awesome to like break me out of my own like rigid thinking. So what's the, what are future projects? What, when do you wrap up with your doctorate? What, what's, what's next for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, hopefully wrapping up with my doctorate by the end of the year or maybe in next summer. That's like, yeah. but the way things are right now, you never know. So we'll see. Um, been there for way too long. Though, <laughs> so that's all right. Yeah, and then I'm also working on um, for Surviving Justice doing a new mini series on prevention that, of course, you were on, and I was so grateful to have you and loved talking with you. So I'm so excited to put that out there. Um, probably sometime next month is when I'm looking at to start kind of um, releasing those episodes. I have you, Brenda Tracy, um, awesome. Mike Domish, who's done a lot of really great prevention work, and I'm going to be speaking with a few other people as well. Brenda's so amazing, right? I mean, I mean, it, she's the, the – in what she battles, and I know you've put up with some of this nonsense too, what she battles on social media every day. I could make curriculum for my guys just like we're going to follow Brenda's life for a week, and we're going to listen to the idiots and we're going to see if we could handle what she puts up with daily. Wow. I love that idea. Right? It, I mean, it's horrible because it's so sad. Like, that's the thing. It's like when you when you come out as a survivor and you have this huge platform, it's like it puts a target on your back. And honestly, like, she's been through enough. Right. <laughs> been through enough. Yes, you guys have <laughs> put up. Yeah. It's the last thing that needs to be out there. So it's really it's really depressing to see that kind of negativity. But I love I love the idea of if it's gonna exist for now, for now. Mm-hmm, <laughs> or mm-hmm. we can change things culturally yes. to use it as like a as a learning mechanism and like how do you, how do you combat that? It's just crazy. Well, I'm super excited for obviously for selfish reasons, because I'm excited I got to talk to you about your prevention work, but I'm excited for that and, and what you'll put continue to put out. Is there anyone you found recently or something you read recently, saw recently? that you think folks should be aware of obviously I, I want to drive everyone to your content but is there anything like I, I know as I'm researching one thing I found somebody else that's awesome or this movie or this miniseries anything else that's that's really struck you as this is great work that, that we can give a little bit of a platform to yeah that's oh gosh there's so much oh my goodness um I think 
let's see. I know that this is probably something that a lot of people have already seen and <laughs> that has been on people's radar for a while. Um, but after after the passing of Daisy Coleman, which was, you know, horrible and devastating mm-hmm. and very painful for, you know, the whole community, especially the survivor community, um, I rewatched it for the first time in years. Um, and uh, it's yeah. so it's so painful to go back and watch. So even though that's kind of an older resource, I think oh, watching still, yeah. that again, right. oh my gosh, right. it's, it's painful. You see, you see like everything, you know, all the issues talked about by people and within my podcast and other things like that, you just see it live in action in the small rural town where one guy's in charge and yeah. it's, it's horrible. And that's so, still on Netflix though, right? Like you can still go get it on Netflix, the Audrey and Daisy, right? Yeah, that's on Netflix. Okay. One thing, um, one thing too, I think that um, might be kind of interesting is looking into Mike Domish's work. Um, so a while mm. ago, he had compiled a book that was called Voices of Courage. Um, it's something that I believe it's like voicesofcourage.org or .com. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll link that. Yep, voicesofcourage.us. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so he that book is available for free as like a free download, and it talks about um, different survivors, what they went through. Um, I think it's 13 different stories. It was written a long time ago, but it always stuck with me and helped me after I went through what I did. But I think it's one of those things that can also give you the perspective of what a what a rape survivor goes through. Mm. And then it also talks about, you know, their resilience and the life that they have after. And just you see you see a more holistic, like, understanding of them as a, as a whole human being and not just as a victim of this crime, even though it is something that stays with you forever. So those are two things mm-hmm. I, I would really like to highlight. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And you're right. Like I, I rem- and it's like it's 2020 and you're I'm thinking to myself, like, oh my God, that that whole week where Daisy was unfortunately the, the trending in the topic, but everything else has come up since. Oh my God. It, it can get washed and this was a, such a loss. And it gets washed away with the next awful thing that's yeah. hit us. So I you know, I really appreciate your strength and I appreciate you taking time to, to share um, not only your story, but the work you're doing. And uh, we're super excited to lend our little platform that we have and our listeners to hopefully drive them. And and like you mentioned earlier, if, if sometimes a victim needs to hear one thing to help them. And it, it doesn't have to be all 50 minutes that we were able to share. But there were so many nuggets that you put out there today. I, I thank you and we'll continue to drive folks to your work. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing is one thing that gives me hope every day. So thank you so much for all that you're doing and for, for having me. On. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests. 